Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Relationships revolve around trust. Without this element, there's no improvement, no calling higher, no challenge, and no depth of love. Love requires trustworthiness, though. Trustworthiness relies on evidence, something tangible that proves reliability and truthfulness. Trust in God or in humans requires this element. It is not blind trust. In Exodus 34, verse 6, we continue exploring the attributes of God's character. Today we're going to finally finish with the series by exploring the last attribute of God's character, which is His faithfulness. We've already seen five of God's attributes, I'm sorry, four before, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast, loving kindness. And today we're going to examine the last one, which is his faithfulness. Let's read Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We already discussed God's compassion, represented by the word rakum, which really means the womb, like a safety and nurturing nature of God, just like a womb, very protective, very tender. We also looked at the second attribute, which was his graciousness, or his grace, uh, represented by the Hebrew word kanun, which means God's favor on the undeserving, the undeserving interest God takes in us to improve, to bless our lives. And then we discussed God being slow to anger. Two Hebrew words here, arik, af, which really means slow-breathed or long-breathed, which is patience or long-suffering, meaning God is even-keeled. He is even of disposition. He doesn't get easily tense or anxious, and he doesn't allow other people's emotions or dysfunction get him out of kilter. He doesn't easily have a cow. Last time, we talked about how he is abounding in love, which is the Hebrew word kesed, often translated as love or goodness. And it carries the idea of a deep-seated zeal towards someone, expressed in acts of love and kindness and generosity, particularly because a promise has been made to someone who has your undivided loyalty. And today you're finally get to how God is faithful, how he is abounding in faithfulness. And this is one Hebrew word, emet, which really means faithful and true. It has to do with truth, with stability, certainty, trustworthiness, but also indicative of reliability and faithfulness. It's a covenant word, 
indicating a covenant relationship. Even when people fail to remain faithful to God's covenant, God remains faithful to his people. You can count on him. His faithfulness has evidence. It's backed up by evidence. So as to the truth in faithful and true. It's not empty. It doesn't require blind trust. It is truth through and through. The Hebrew word emet is also related to another common word that you probably will recognize, amen, which means that's right or true that. God is telling Moses in this verse that he is faithful and true, that he's fully trustworthy. Being faithful and true means, you know, you always tell the truth, as Proverbs 12, 19 says, truthful lips, the lip of emet in the Hebrew, endure forever, but lying, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Emet is more than telling the truth, though. It stands for the quality of a person who is faithful and reliable. Let's look at that in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 3 where Hezekiah said in a prayer, Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully, in the Hebrew, in emet, and with wholehearted devotion, and have done what is good in your eyes. So Hezekiah prayed to the Lord and appealed to him as a person who had been faithful and true to the covenant. The psalmist also declares Yahweh God as a God of Emmet in Psalm 31, verse 5, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord. Deliver me, Yahweh, my faithful God, God of Emmet. There is a reciprocal nature to a trusting relationship. It's like the classic example of the chair. A chair is faithful to be sat in and hold you up. And when you sit in the chair, you are demonstrating faith in the chair, that the chair will actually hold you up when you do so. You are faithful to the chair as the chair is faithful to you. It's a reciprocal nature of faithfulness, of emmet. And God shows this reliability, this stability, because that is the concept of emmet. This is what distinguishes God's steadfast loving kindness, kesed, from his stability and reliability. Remember, Kesed carries that deep-seated affection, while Emmet has to do more with the immutability of God's faithfulness and truthfulness, the fact that it does not change, the fact that you can rely on it no matter what. And the scriptures illustrate this concept as follows. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 11 and 12, we read, As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. That word steady there, that's the word emmet. So the idea of God's stability comes through when God is always referred to as that steady uh, aspect of our lives, that steady person, steady as a rock throughout the scriptures. God is described as that rock. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, he is the rock. 
His works are perfect, and all his ways are just a faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Psalm 62, verse 2. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. These scriptures clearly tell us how the Hebrews thought of God as a rock, as emet, as reliable, as stable, unchanging. And this may be why the Lord put this attribute of his character at the end of the list in Exodus 34, 6. He's kind of saying, this is who I am, and I will never change. I never change. Now, another important aspect of emet that we cannot overlook is that this kind of trustworthiness or faithfulness or reliability is never blind. It's not blind trust. That's not, that's not what real faith is about, because blind trust is not godly. God promised Abraham that he will bless the nations through him. As we read in Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will bless, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham, in the following verses, we will see how he believed. He he'emin, that means he considered God trustworthy to open a way forward no matter the obstacle. We see this in Genesis 15, 5 and 6, where God took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And verse 6 says, Abraham believed. That's the word, amen. He believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now Paul goes a little bit deeper into how Abraham believed, reflecting on the life of Abraham as an example of what it looks like to have faith in God, no matter what your situation is, specifically when you're down low in a valley. Uh, in Romans chapter 4, verse 18 through 21, Paul writes, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. So we can see that quality of God's character, his trueness, his stability and unwavering commitment. That's what Abraham believed in. And it's the only thing that will give us hope when our reason doesn't see hope, as the text said, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Now, followers of Jesus are sometimes criticized for choosing belief without evidence. But emet is not blind trust. In the biblical record, faithful people are constantly looking back on examples of God's 
faithfulness in the past, and that becomes the basis for their present trust. We do the same on a daily basis. Who continues to do what has been proven to be a failure? That's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for different results. People continue to have faith in God, and many more turn to God because their faith is not a shot in the dark. It's not a hopeless faith. It's not like we're turning to God because we can't find hope in the world. And we're like, okay, you know, since I can't find any hope, I'm just going to turn to God and give this a shot. No, on the contrary, it's because we see no other reasonable place. We don't see reasonable people. We don't see reasonable ideas that we can fully trust because we know that the world is not a trustworthy place. And so we turn to rock because we, I'm sorry, we turn to God, the rock of ages, because we see his stability and his reliability in the scriptures and the evidence that surrounds the Holy Writ. He has been the only steady, changeless, hopeful, loving, and compassionate being throughout the ages in spite of our immense wavering. Our faith is full of reason, and it's a dependable faith. That's the very definition of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, we read, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And that is what the ancients were commended for. So the word faith in the Greek here, since we're reading from Hebrews, is the word pistis, which can also be translated as belief or trust. And it carries the meaning of persuasion, of conviction, constancy. It comes from the root word peetho, which means to convince, to conciliate, to assure. So it's deeply based in truth. And so the next two, two words are related. As he says, faith is confidence. Faith is assurance. Well, that Greek word confidence is from the Greek meaning to provide a sure footing for something, like to lay a groundwork, to, to look for a good uh, uh, st stable ground to build, basically. And the Greek word assurance uh, comes from the meaning of evidence or proof. So if we were to translate this uh, in plain English, it would say our faith is the groundwork being laid for the reality to come. And it also provides the proof of what cannot yet be seen. I love this. <laughs> Things not seen can be everything from the creation of the universe. We weren't there to witness it. The incarnation of Christ. Those are incredible things that we can't witness. We, don't, we can't see. The flood. We, we didn't know. We weren't there when that happened. The coming of Jesus. You know, do we believe it's going to come? Uh, do we believe he's going to come? Do we believe there's judgment? All these things that we cannot see. Well, what's the proof of that? Because faith is the proof about what we don't see. What's the proof that helps us believe in these things that we cannot see? Well, everything you can see that God has created, as Paul exclaimed in Romans 1.20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. David even used that same reasoning here in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14, when he writes, 
For you created my inmost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that fully well. <clears throat> so, yes, if we look around, <laughs> look at the mountains, look at the sky, look at the clouds, look at the planets, my goodness, you know, we, we see the majesty. <laughs> we see the awesomeness of God. When you stand in front of the Grand Canyon, you know, there's, you get awestruck because you know this wasn't made by man. You know that there had to be a God to make that. So there's plenty of evidence in what has been made. Any reasonable person, the Holy Spirit says here, is without excuse. But you know what? If you are that much of a hard head, God has left plenty of other evidences that are still here. The number one, uh, the number one, record of history, his inspired word, the Bible, is full of uh, prophecies that can be checked, events that can be researched, proven to have happened, and also the greatest cliffhanger ever, the empty tomb, the sure sign Jesus ascended alive into the heavens, as the witnesses declared, to which no one opposed, not even Jesus' enemies. So, you know what, this message has been uh, given a lot of witness, has been given a lot of evidence. Um, as even uh, Peter, when he preached, he says that God credited Jesus with signs, wonders, and mir miracles that everybody witnessed, and no one could oppose, not even Jesus' enemies. So that right there is a precious gem amongst many others that you can find in the scriptures. And that's why the Hebrew author will say in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, is it, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God has furnished plenty of reasons to believe, and yet he rewards us for earnestly seeking him in this faith, since, believe it or not, plenty refuse to seek him, even in light of all the evidence he has left and the proof of his constant providence, even for the wicked. But you know what? The Bible is also full of examples of people who didn't believe despite the evidence they had witnessed. The constant bickering and complaining uh, the Lord had to endure even when his people witnessed the ten plagues against Egypt and the mighty way God saved them from the Egyptians by crossing the Red Sea. To this day, we see evidence of the chariots at the bottom of the Red Sea. But those people chose to instead trust the lesser reality before them than the greater power and might of the Lord that was displayed before their very eyes. We can read about that in Numbers 14, verse 8 through 11, where Caleb and Joshua were persuading the people, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. And then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. Goodness, even the Lord was doing these things. Uh, in verse 11, the Lord says, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs? I have performed among them. But <laughs> that's the nature of, of, of our hearts, isn't it? You know, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, other faithful people, they had to endure the stubborn foolishness of those who refused to believe in spite of the real evidence 
before them. And sadly, most people continue to be like this. I'm sure you know your fair share of people whose hearts are callous and bitter, and yet they think they know, and they think they're wise. Well, you know, Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, God in the flesh, he, he is God's revealed character. You know, Jesus is the promised king of Israel and the fulfillment of God's covenants to Abraham and David. In Romans, Paul explains that Jesus came on behalf of God's faithfulness to confirm the promises made to Abraham and Israel. We can read about that in Romans 15, 8 and 9, where it says, I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. That word truth right there, that is the Greek word faithful, faithful and true, from the Hebrew emet. So he became a servant of the Jews on, God's, on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So the author of Hebrews points out that Jesus, too, is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to David, Hebrews 1, 8 and 9. About the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Yes, in Jesus, God proves that he is trustworthy, consistent, reliable. God hasn't abandoned his people. God hasn't abandoned his faithfulness, his emet. <laughs> I mean, here in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible, we see that word emet really fully realized in the description of the rider of the white horse here in Revelation chapter 19. Verses 11 through 16, where John writes, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Wow, that's exactly what the word emet uh, is means, you know, faithfulness and truthfulness. And we continue reading, with justice he judges and wages war, his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, and with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's emet. He is the faithful and true. And Jesus continues to reveal to this day God's trustworthiness. You know, because God shows himself trustworthy through Jesus, we, we all are called to place our trust in Jesus. You know, relationships revolve around trust. Whether we're talking about our relationship with God or with other people, that trust should never be blind. We're fools when we trust other people without evidence. And it should be based on evidence and trustworthiness. And we have plenty of that coming from God. I mean, God didn't have to do that. God is God. He can say, you better do this. <laughs> but yet, He knows 
how calloused our hearts is. He knows how stubborn and rebellious we are. And so he has left a plethora of evidence. He has proven to be faithful and true. And Jesus is the final proof of that. And we have the empty tomb declaring and witnessing to that. Throughout the story of the Bible, even though God's people were repeatedly unfaithful, God is repeatedly faithful. The pattern of God's faithfulness in Scripture is something to which we can cling. As we see in the New Testament, even when we struggle to trust, Jesus is still trustworthy, and He responds to us with compassion. Will you trust Jesus today? Will you put all your hope and all your trust in Jesus only? Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.